0: Ninety-eight years, ten months, and about six days. Now, I'm not talking about the age of one of our oldest members in the congregation, although we have three that are right around that age. But ninety-eight years, ten months, and a handful of days, that's how old St. Paul's Lutheran Church in North Mankato is. St. Paul's was formed on March 3rd of 1922, so in just a little more than a year, our congregation will be 100 years old. And now, these four weeks where we focus on our mission are not our anniversary celebration, but it's going to feel a little bit like a taste of that. How has the mission of the church been carried out at St. Paul's for the last almost 100 years? How, by God's grace, might it continue to be carried out in Lower North Mankato and beyond for, with God's blessing, the next 100 years? Now, uh, this church has, has done all kinds of different things in the last 100 years. There's, there's a lot that has changed. I was reading through the 50th anniversary book that was compiled over this last week. And our first three years of ministry, we offered a German service... We don't have services in German here at St. Paul's anymore. In some of our our first worship services we had, they weren't right at this location. And you know, maybe the, the church building is still over there, and I think it's Range and Wheeler, is that right? Or the building is there, the parsonage is right next door. But even before that, 98 years ago, they were meeting in a fire station just down the road on Belgrade, As Christians got together to see how they could gather around God's word and share that word with their community. And now, almost a hundred years later, maybe surprisingly, not a lot has changed. We still gather around God's word and his sacraments. We still baptize adults and infants into the family of God we still believe that every single word that God has spoken in his Bible is true. Thank God for that. That was the prayer over and over in those pages of the 50th anniversary book. May God keep us faithful, and by God's grace he has. Pastors have come and go, some staying a long time, some here just for a short time. Uh, we've had professors from Bethany Lutheran College helping out for over the last 100 years during vacancies and things like that as guest preachers. So uh, some things don't change, some things do change. But the mission God gave his church in 98 years hasn't changed. How we carry out that mission will necessarily change because we're dealing with a different culture than was here 98 years ago, different kinds of people coming from different kinds of backgrounds. So how we carry out that mission may very well change. How we talk about the mission, what kinds of words we use, absolutely is going to change, and that's okay. But the mission Jesus gave his people to do, their marching orders as they go out into the world, that hasn't changed because God's word hasn't changed. And that's what we'll do these next four weeks. We'll look at what God has told us to gather together and do, reflect on some of the joys of doing that over the last 98 years and 10 months, and do a little bit of dreaming about how God might choose to bless us in these next years. Especially how, how he might bless us as we potentially pay off the mortgage for this building so that we can continue to do even more ministry here. What kinds of strategies might we use? What might we do to accomplish this mission? Now, the first aspect of the mission of the church that we'll talk about has to do with a pretty basic concept. If you were going to ask even a non-Christian person, what do church people do? They'd probably say, well, church people go to church. All right. And that's true. We do. We come together and worship usually on a weekly basis, getting filled up with God's word and his sacraments to give us power and strength to get out there in, into, the, into the trenches again, fueled up by God's word, encouraged by his people. But there's more to being a church member than that. There's more to being a Christian than that. Next week we'll look at Christian education, the learn aspect of our, our ministry. Worship and learn and all the wonderful ways God has blessed us, for where we can gather around God's word through the educational entities that we have in our congregation and through our congregation and personally studying his word. Jesus also calls us to reach out to a world that's dying with a message of hope. How do we do that when people are so different from us out there? How can we show unconditional love? We'll talk about that. We'll see what God's word has to say. And finally, uh, this aspect of, of giving back. Jesus has given us so much. How do we say thank you to him with our time, our talents, and even our treasures. The mission of the church. Jesus gave that mission to the church before he went to heaven. Uh, A familiar verse, one of my favorites, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or hold on to everything that I have commanded you, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Go and share and teach and grow, Jesus tells us. Worship gives us the power to carry out that mission. So today we're focusing on a section of God's word from Hebrews chapter 10 that is is maybe a familiar chapter thinking about worship and encouraging us in our relationship with God, our relationships with people out in the world, and the the believer's relationship with his or her church. We see that in this section of Hebrews. First of all, the the, uh, the author to Hebrews, we don't know for sure who wrote this letter, but we know that it is God's word. He talks about worship. Only he doesn't just go back 98 years and 10 months and 6 days. He talks about worship Well, no, I suppose he would be, because that was still going on when he wrote this. But he talks about worship with the sacrificial system, the Old Testament worship life of the church, 2,000 plus years ago for us. And he makes these connections. And even then, things had changed for him and for God's people. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's this new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is His body. So he goes back to the time of worshiping God in the tabernacle or in the temple where there were different rooms that had different levels of security clearance to be able to get into them. And the innermost room was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant would have stood until it was carried away and lost and where the great high priest would have come in only one time a year and only with the blood of a lifeless sacrifice that was killed because the wages of sin is death, and the blood of the innocent sprinkled over the Ark of the Covenant for this picture of the forgiveness of sins of God's people. So he said there was a great high priest who did that because no one else was able to go through that curtain because our sins had separated us from God so much that the Old Testament people, no one could go in there of their own volition or they would die. Because holiness, God's presence, is incompatible with sinfulness. So once a year, the high priest came in with the blood of the sacrifice. And that continued for, for years and years and years until the one sacrifice came, until the perfect sacrifice came, until the great high priest came to offer a greater sacrifice than the blood of bulls and goats to totally open up what worship is and how it works. No longer is it just one person who can come in one time a year, but Jesus symbolically entered the most holy place with his own blood when he died as a sacrifice on the cross, when he took every one of our sins to the cross and bled and died for them and covered every sin. And now the writer of the Hebrews says... Here's what this worship is like now. Now, instead of fear to be in God's presence, we have confidence to enter the most holy place because the blood of Jesus has already entered. We have a new and a living way opened. there's um, There's no more roadblock on the way to heaven. Jesus has opened that up. We have a great high priest over the house of God. And this high priest didn't just go up to heaven to sit on a rocking chair and watch how things go for us like he's watching a reality TV show. Instead, this great high priest actively watches over us, hearing our prayers and bringing them to God along with the Holy Spirit, mediating for us as as we sin. He says, no, I've paid for that sin. I died for that sin. I've brought my, my blood. I've been sacrificed for each of those sins already. Our great high priest is there for us, so now we can draw near to God. As we worship, we think about the believer's relationship with God. And we know that through Jesus, it is a good relationship. It's a relationship that is forgiven, holy, and blameless in his sight. We see that through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, where once again we have his blood shed for us, given for us, for our forgiveness. So let us draw near to God with this full assurance that faith brings because our hearts have been sprinkled. We've been cleansed of a guilty conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Another reference that makes me think of baptism. Bodies washed with the pure water and word to show that we are members of God's family and we can come to him with confidence. So then there's another relationship here, the relationship between believers and the world. Paul, or not Paul, but the writer of the Hebrews encourages us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold on to the hope that Jesus gives us. And one way we do that is by gathering together in worship by studying God's word, by sharing that word. As we're in contact with his word and his promise and his sacraments, it helps us hold on without swerving as much. You think of the the new believer who's all of a sudden confronted with with, um, a challenge to their faith and maybe, oh, it just pushes them back and they're, they're concerned about it. And they start to swerve a little bit. Is this really true? Could this really be true? You think of the believer who's been a believer for quite some time, who still reels a little bit when maybe an accusation comes up. Their guilty conscience flares up and wonders, can this really be true? The writer of the Hebrews tells us, hold on. Keep meeting together so that you don't have to swerve back and forth as much. That's what the Christian life is. There's going to be some swerving. There's going to be ups and downs, like the new teenage driver. Maybe some some of you have taught your teenagers to drive already. And in the beginning, maybe a little bit of swerving. But over time, less and more confidence. And that's what we have too as we gather together in worship. Confidence of where we stand with our God and confidence as we share that relationship with others. Because the writer says that we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Not just a hope we bottle up inside for ourselves, although that is helpful in this Christian life, just to have this hope for ourselves. But it's a hope we profess, a hope that we share so that we can reach out. More on that in a couple weeks when we get to the reach out section of the mission of the church. And then finally, this encouragement, this relationship between the believer and the church, this encouragement to stay connected to God's word and God's people. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. God's people at that time lived in a dangerous time where they were persecuted for their faith when it was possible that they could lose their jobs, where they could be killed for professing to be a believer, and people were starting to back away from meeting together. And the writer to the Hebrews says, do not do that. Don't put the word of God down. Don't stop gathering with one another. Don't stop worshiping. If you would keep on reading here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and following, just one of the the most frightening pronouncements of law comes up. It says, Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin. And if you lose hold of that sacrifice, if you don't want that sacrifice for sin, there's no other sacrifice. The only thing to expect at that point is burning fire. So we don't want to let go of what we have. And there's no reason we need to let go of what we have. We have the high priest who has washed us and made us pure and made us part of his family so that we can proclaim his word to each other and to others. That's what we do, encouraging one another. This word for encouraging one another is a word that also gets used in the New Testament for the work of the Holy Spirit. Standing by our side. Building us up when we're down. Helping us when we need when we need the things that only he can give. When we're weak, when we're sorrowing, when we're tempted. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what we can do for each other too. We're in a really strange time in our life right now, where for some it's very difficult, for some it's impossible to at this moment be able to gather together and stand right next to the side of another person. But we're getting closer. And the encouragement from the writer to the Hebrews is, don't get into a habit of staying away from God's people. Now at this time, we may have to be watching online for a time, but don't let, don't let that become the norm forever. As soon as we can, let's get back together. And it's so, such a joy being able to see you and worship here with you. Worship, sometimes we may think of that as as the, the praises that we sing, the words that we speak, the prayers that we bring to God, and that's true, that's part of worship. But worship especially, and we see it on a day like the baptism of our Lord, worship is primarily God coming down and serving us, fueling us up, building us up with his forgiveness proclaimed in the absolution at the beginning of a service, in his forgiveness tasted and seen in the supper, in his forgiveness felt in the washing with water and the word of baptism. We gather together because God comes to us. And then we respond with thanksgiving. We profess that hope and pray to him. And so we gather together. And so we reach out to other friends and other congregation members to encourage them to stay connected to God and his word in one way or another. I saw, I think it was a Facebook meme or something like that in the last week or so, giving an illustration of how good it is for believers to be gathered together, encouraging each other. And it was about a pastor going to the house of a man who hadn't been in worship for a long time. And the story goes that he came and knocked on the door, and the man opened the door and saw his pastor and immediately realized, oh, okay, it's that lecture, it's that talk. All right, well, come on in. And the pastor comes in and doesn't really say anything, and they go into the living room together, and he has a wood-burning fire with a bunch of logs on it going there and sits down, takes off his coat, and they just sit in silence for a time until eventually the pastor gets up and takes the tongs next to the fire and goes and grabs one of the logs of wood and takes it and moves it to the side off by itself in the ashes away from the rest of the burning fire and then sits back down. They just sit there in silence for a while longer until eventually that one log starts to fizzle out and stops burning. And there it sits all by itself, cold. And then the pastor gets up again and goes back to the fireplace and picks up that one log and puts it right back with the others, and almost immediately it fans into flame and starts burning again, and then he picks up his coat and makes his way to the door, at which point the the man goes over and opens the door for him and says, thank you, pastor. I understand. I'll see you in church this weekend. (laughs) Would it go like that? I don't know, but... uh, but if I don't see you here for a long time and I don't know that you're staying connected online, I hope that I can knock on your door and you'll have me and you'll, we'll be able to sit in the living room together. And, and, and if you don't have the fireplace going, then we'll just talk about it. And it'll be okay because we love each other and we love God's word and we want to be together. Because when we're together, gathered around the word, we encourage each other and fan that, that gift of faith into flames to prepare us for the mission That God has called us to do. God wants us to worship. And I'm confident that we'll be able to continue worshiping. And we'll get more and more back to normal soon. Uh, For 98 years, God has allowed us to worship here in this area together. And with God's blessings, we'd like to worship for another 100 years. To prepare ourselves for the next 100 years of ministry together. What will that look like? Are we going to be singing the same songs I have a feeling some of them we will. Will we be singing some different songs? Probably. Will we be using all the same Bible translations? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Will we be rooted in God's word and always going back to the original languages? I hope so. The prayer over those 50 years in the anniversary book was always keep us true to your word, faithful with your word and sacraments, and that will always be our prayer here at St. Paul's too. Lutherans gathering together around the means of grace, rejoicing in that sacrifice for sins, infants, children, and adults being baptized with water and the word for forgiveness, confirmed members gathering together around the wafer and the wine for strength and forgiveness. We gather every week so that we can get recharged, so that we can get energized to get out there and carry out Christ's mission. For the next week, for the next year, And if God wills it, for the next 100 years. Amen.